0: West Bowles, hello. Hey, will you join me one more time in thanking Kim Hill for coming this morning. And Kim, I don't know where you are right now, but I realized as she was singing, I was looking around and people were getting teary-eyed. And I realized, Kim Hill and I have something in common. Because when I sing, people cry too. It's, it's So... It's just a gift. You got it or you don't, you know? So, (laughs) hey, we're going to do a little exercise right now. What's going to happen is on the screens, you're going to see in just a moment a number of logos, um, well-known logos. And I just want you to to tell me out loud, when you see that logo, what do you think? What does that organization, what does that brand do? Okay? First one. Here we go. Nike swoosh. Just do it. Okay, but Nike, what do they do? Sports equipment, good. Shoes, clothes, all that. Okay, next one. Apple. Somebody said they make apples. No. All right. Technology, iPad, iPhone, computers, good. Okay, next one. Starbucks. Coffee, food, overcharge you, good. Okay. All right, next one. Broncos. All right. What do they do? Oh, my goodness. They win. All right. Okay, I hesitated to put this next one up. All right, let's get this over with. So many confused souls in this place this morning. If you're cheering for that, uh, let's get that off the screen. I don't want God to be mad at us. Okay, Um, Oreo. Wrong, wrong. I haven't heard a right answer yet. Okay, you ready? It's heaven, okay? It's heaven. In fact, I can't back this theologically, but my prayer is that one day we will get there, and there will just be Olympic-sized swimming pools full of not, not regular Oreos. Remember, that's diet. Double-stuff Oreos for us to just swim in, all right? All right, this next one, I don't want you to say anything. I want you to think on The cross. The cross. What do we think of when we see the cross? Well, hopefully, hopefully, as Thomas has talked to us a few weeks ago for a couple weeks, that gospel message comes to mind. That simple, powerful gospel message that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God, that he died on a cross, and that he rose and conquered the grave. Hopefully, that is what we associate with that symbol that we wear around our necks, that we see on buildings, that we talk about here every single week. Because that gospel message, that is a message that, as Thomas talked to us about last week, the early church was consumed with. They were a church on fire, and they burned with that gospel message. It affected every every single facet of their lives, everything they did, the way they lived. And when Jesus left, he said, I'm sending you my Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit led that church and guided that church to that gospel message over and over and over and still does today. And so it's that message that we see, as it consumed that early church, and we'll expand on it this morning, as it consumed the early church, some leaders emerged in that early church, one by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was a man who was full of wisdom, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and he would talk about this gospel message and it would start to rile up the Romans and the Jewish authorities. Because he would talk about how much power it had, and they were threatened. Because they had had their own power. The Roman power and the, the traditions of the Jewish leaders. They had thought that had had the power. And Stephen is saying, no, the gospel is what has the power. This riled them up so much that they hauled him before the authorities. Before the Sanhedrin. And they, they questioned him, and they, they brought charges against him. And when he defended himself, he walked them through the scriptures. And he ended It's saying, was there ever, was there ever a prophet who spoke of the coming of Jesus that you and your forefathers did not prosecute and persecute? And then he ended with, and you yourselves betrayed and killed Jesus himself. We'll read that they gnashed their teeth at this. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him to death. And Stephen became the first martyr for his faith. And then Luke gives us this detail. That's really the starting point of what we're talking about this morning he said and Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death Saul was there giving approval to Stephen's death and that same day it says a great persecution broke out against the church and we don't have to try hard to imagine this do we all you have to do is look at the middle east and see that same thing is happening the church is being scattered there's a there's a guy who was in the youth group years ago he now lives in the country of Jordan with his wife And their child. And he said the churches in Iraq. Any Christians who were in Iraq. Before ISIS came through. Are gone. They've either been killed. Or they've been scattered. He said the thing you're probably not hearing in American media. Is that the churches across Iraq. Are filling up. With new converts. And new Christians. And so the church is not being. It's not shrinking. It's actually growing. And you see that happening here in the book of Acts. As we'll talk about this morning. Now. Saul, he was really the ringleader of this persecution. And he would go from door to door. And he would drag people out of their houses and haul them off to prison. And he asked for permission, actually, to expand his search for Christians, to prosecute and persecute. And one day he asked for permission to go to a place called Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, we read that a bright light shone around Saul. And it knocked him to the ground and he heard a voice. And that voice said, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? You can imagine that term, me, probably threw Saul off. Because Saul's thinking, no, I'm persecuting a group. I'm persecuting a movement. I'm going after an ideology. And confused, probably, he said, who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, that's a big statement for him, and that's a big statement for us. Do you know what that means? That's Jesus saying, Saul, whatever you do to the church, you do to me. You persecute them, you persecute me. You know what the implication of that is? That the church is a representation of Jesus here on earth. The church then and the church now. We represent Jesus here on earth. And that, the reason I bring that up, the reason I bring that up is because I believe that's a question That helped to drive Paul on his mission. Saul would become Paul from this point on, and that would drive him. And so with that in mind, I want to throw one more logo up for you guys. West Bowles. What does the world see when the world looks at the church? I mean, there's the worldwide Christian church, and there's this church. What does the world see when the world sees West Bowles? Because Paul's answer to that would be, well, we should represent the body of Christ here on earth. When the world looks at the church, that's what they should see. In fact, Paul, as he went about his mission, he actually spent seven to 10 years. He kind of went under the radar. You didn't hear about him for a while. He spent time with Peter. He spent time with James, the brother of Jesus. And he learned about Jesus' teachings. And when he reemerged, he was on a mission like none we've ever seen. Over 11 years, he would go on three missionary journeys and he would travel primarily by ship and everywhere he landed he'd get off his boat and he would he would find people and he would tell them about the gospel message and he would say look it doesn't matter what football team you cheer for what your political affiliation is whether you like regular or double stuff oreos if you've put faith in this gospel message in Jesus Christ then you are the church and you have a mission And that is to represent Jesus and bring that gospel message to the context and the world you are in. So he would do this over and over and over. And you can read the details. It's in chapter 29 of the story and in all the letters that Paul wrote throughout the New Testament. And there's one thing that you'll see in all of these. Opposition. Paul would come up against opposition over and over and over. And the church would come up against opposition over and over and over. And so this morning, actually going to depart from from the chapter in the story because I want to talk to you out of one letter that Paul wrote to one church that he had planted. If you have your Bibles, it will be in the book of Philippians. This is a letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi. And keep in mind, Paul has seen opposition. He knows opposition better than anyone at all. So he's looking at the church at Philippi, and what we're going to find out this morning is Paul saw something brewing. He saw opposition rising up. We're going to be in chapter two, but at the end of chapter one, you know what Paul says? He says, look, I'd urge you to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Contend for it as one man, as one in spirit, and this will be a sign to those who oppose you. What Paul's saying is, look, you're going to be, church, you're going to be opposed from the outside, but Paul has gotten word that there is division on the inside of the church too. And so now in chapter two, he turns his attention to the inside of the church. And as we look at what he says, you know what we find out? That Paul cared about the mission he was on, and he cared about the mission the church is on, but Paul also cares intensely about the way we go about that mission. So, if you have your Bibles, we're in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Take a look at this. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, that is, Any encouragement that you've ever had, then this applies to you. If any comfort from his love, have you ever been consoled? Have you ever been comforted in your faith by God's love? Then this is for you. If any fellowship with the Spirit, have you experienced the Holy Spirit? Have you seen the fruits of the Spirit? Have you experienced those? Then this is for you. And then it's like Paul adds one more thing. Like if the first three didn't apply to you, Then maybe this will he says if any tenderness and compassion well how do we know if we have that good question okay we're going to do a little tenderness and compassion test and here's the deal okay if you in just a minute you're going to see a picture and if you can look at that picture without going oh then guess what you don't have to listen to the rest of this message okay but if there's something in you even if you don't say it out loud then you have tenderness and compassion And you got to listen, okay? All right, here's the picture. Oh, I'm biased because that's our son, all right? If you can look at that. Now, listen, I don't know if that's what Paul meant. Probably not. But if there's something in you that went, oh, you know what? There's some tenderness in you. And Paul's words are for you, okay? So let's look at that verse again, okay? There's a word in there that I want you to see. It appears four times. Any encouragement, any comfort, any fellowship, any tenderness and compassion. See, that's not a word that we really use as a requirement to do something, is it? We prefer the term full or all. If I were to say to you, look, anybody who got any sleep last night, let's go on a five-mile run. Well, if you slept 15 minutes last night, you got any sleep, but you probably don't want to do that. You'd rather say, well, on a full night's sleep, I might go do that. But this is Paul saying, no, if you have any, if you have this much, then my words are for you. Any. And look at what he asks of them. Next verse. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. What's Paul talking about here? unity unity and that's not something we think about very often is it see i i can think about praying and i can think about reading my bible i can think about serving others but unity is not one that that really comes to mind when i think about my faith in fact it was about eight to ten years ago there was a survey done with the um the athletes at the olympics summer olympic athletes and they were asked what sport do you have the highest regard for and you would think that the track athletes said track and field, and the basketball players said basketball, and that the archers said archery, but that wasn't it. There was one sport they came back with. And it's the sport that you and I, honestly, when you hear the Summer Olympics are coming up, you don't think, oh, I hope I see. I hope they give this sport TV time. You know what sport it was? Synchronized swimming. Swimming. And one athlete said, I think about all the training that I I put in to get ready for the Olympics. Okay? And I think about me, but I cannot imagine that the person next to me who's going to impact my score in the Olympics, I cannot imagine being on the same page with them in our training and in our performance. And so Paul's looking at the church and he's saying, look, I want you to be like a bunch of synchronized swimmers. Not literally, but I want you to be that united on the same page. And then he goes on. Verse three do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, when I first read that, I was like, huh? Paul, we we're talking about unity. And then you jumped to humility. And Paul would say, well, there's a connection. There's a connection between the unity you have with others and the humility that you have as well. See, we all have interests, don't we? We have interests, we have desires, we have pursuits. Things we consider a right, don't we? Things that are important to us. And what Paul's getting at is that, look, there's something that can get in the way of your unity between you and someone else. And it's those rights that you hold so dearly. Anytime I hold up, isn't that true? Anytime I hold up my rights over our relationship, we might experience some tension. If I hold up my rights over our relationship, we're going to run into something eventually. I think maybe the greatest way to illustrate this is my greatest failure at this. My absolute failure. Please don't hold this against me. Absolute greatest failure at this. Um, We were, it came time to deliver our oldest child, Lainey. She's eight years old now. And I remember being in the delivery room and the nurse said, okay, Kara, it's time to push. And so she had been holding this hand. Some of you have heard this story. She'd been holding this hand and I just went, oh man, time to switch hands. Does anybody see a problem with her squeezing this hand instead of this hand? The ring you ever had your hand squeezed with a ring on it i mean it's painful here's the problem she's giving birth okay so immediately you know what nathan's thinking i mean i have a right to a pain-free ring finger don't i a pain-free hand and i'd love to stand up here and tell you i bit my tongue and i didn't say anything but i did the dumbest thing you could do he said honey can you not squeeze so hard this hurts so bad and i looked up and the nurse was just like <sighs> it's like look can we get an epidural they're like it's too late she's already pushing i was like no me right here come on double dose right here they wouldn't give me one they not at all but see when i hold up my rights over our relationship well then we have some tension And unity can be threatened. Well, Paul goes on. He says, look, so here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you an example. I want to point at an example for you. And he says, in your relationships, take the mindset of Christ Jesus. Some versions say, take the attitude. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God Did not consider equality with God. Something to be grasped. Have you ever been in a position where you you get to enjoy some perks that go along with it? Maybe if you've worked in the food industry, you get a free meal once a shift. If you work in retail, there's a discount on merchandise for the company that you work for. And yet here's Jesus in the position and the nature of God and man And he gives up those rights. He gives up the rights to being treated like God. And it goes on. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Does anybody watch Undercover Boss in here? Paul's saying this is Undercover Boss at the highest level. Jesus, taking the nature, he's the very nature of God. Well, he decided... I'm going to spend some time i'm going to spend some time still god but as human took the very nature of a servant and being found in appearance as a man verse 8 he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross and paul's saying he gave up his rights he gave up his rights for the sake of his relationship with his heavenly father and then you know what he did he gave up his rights for the sake of your relationship and my relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then just to really make the example shine, Paul goes on. Look at what he says, verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. See, not only did Jesus give up those rights for his relationship and our relationship with our Heavenly Father, he gave up those rights for the glory, for the reign of the Heavenly Father. And Paul's pointing at that. He's saying your mindset, your attitude should be like that. Willing to set aside my rights for the reign, for the glory of our Heavenly Father? Can we do that in our relationships? I think maybe there's no more timely illustration of that. As we come to this Wednesday, we celebrate Veterans Day. And what do you see? Think about the veterans you know. What have they done that we should be honoring and celebrating for weeks, months, years at a time? What did they do? They gave up their rights to the life that we get to enjoy every single day to defend our country. They gave up their rights for something greater, for our freedom, for our liberty. So veterans, thank you for your service to this country, but thank you for illustrating to us the very thing that Jesus did. He gave up his rights for something greater for the reign of our Heavenly Father, for his glory. And then, having said these two things, Paul, it's like he sets two options before the church. Okay? He said, look, you're either going to do one of these. Are you going to do this, or are you going to do this? Okay? And it's going to affect the way the world sees the church. Verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, For it is God who works in you. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When I first became a Christian and I read this, this threw me off because I thought, work out your salvation like we make that happen? We gotta read that next verse. No, it's God who works in you. That means if you've experienced his salvation, he reigns inside of you. And Paul's saying, that reign that God has inside of you, work that to the outside of you. Let that be displayed. Let that be shown. It's not you doing it. It's him doing it. But you show it. Work to the outside what he's doing inside. He says so that's option number one. You can, the focus of your life can be the display of God's reign or what he says next. Verse 14, do everything without complaining We're arguing. Let me ask you something. When we complain about somebody or about something, when we argue with somebody about something, who's that really about? Who? Ourselves. I mean, we point outside of ourselves. But see, there's something, my rights, my wants, my preferences, my interests have somehow been disrupted. And so it's very easy to complain and argue about it. This is what Paul sees going on in the church at Philippi. So he's writing to him about it. And that's about my rights and my requests and my interests. So he's saying, look, the world, when they look at you, they're either going to see God's reign in your life and in your relationships with each other, or they're going to see you standing and focused on my rights. Which is it going to be? And then he continues. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. See, Paul's pointing out that this is a visibility thing. He's saying, church, you're being watched, whether you like it or not. You're being watched. The world is watching you. And you're either going to display God's reign or you're going to display my rights. Which is it going to be? And I don't think it's an accident that he chose stars is the picture there. As I was reading about this, I just got thinking about stars and our sun. Do you know how much energy our sun puts out every second? I don't mean Lincoln, our sun. I'm sorry. He puts out a lot of energy every second, but the sun in the sky. You know what I'm talking about, okay? They say, if you were to take the energy released of the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima in 1945, if you were to take the energy that that bomb released, 80 trillion of those every single second our sun is putting out. 80 trillion. You know what Paul's saying? Church, you have a lot of potential. You have a lot, a lot, a lot of potential, more than you can even fathom. Do people see that? Is the world watching seeing that? You know what's interesting is at night when the stars come out, it doesn't take much to block your view of that energy, does it? All you got to do is put up your hand. You can probably block like what, 20 stars? And I think Paul's saying here, don't block it. Don't block the world's view. You can shine. But it takes unity. It takes unity to do that. In fact, I think what Paul's really getting at here is this unity holds opportunity unity holds opportunity he's looking at the church saying there's so much potential west bowls there's so much potential unity is our opportunity it really is and if i can remember that then you know what i can let go of what i want to see my requests my rights and I can focus on God's reign. I can can suddenly look at the person across the room, and I can go, oh my goodness, they're part of that mission that the church has in their context during the week. It looks different than mine, but they're part of that mission, so I can pray for them. I can be united with them. I can look at their interests. Paul knew this, and Jesus prayed for this. Not long after he said, love one another. The world will know you by your love for one another. The last part of his prayer, that night before he was crucified, he said, Father, may they be one as you and I are one. May they have the unity that you and I have, Heavenly Father. Unity holds opportunity to do what? To reach our Community. So as we close this morning, here's what I want to do. I I recently learned in a class 18%, 18% of churches pray for their congregations. Commission them to go about their mission during the week. See, I think we have this thinking we've got to get over that you gotta work at a church to have ministry. No, you don't. You have a ministry. Whatever context you're in, you have a ministry, you're part of a mission. And that mission is to take the gospel, to take the gospel and shine like stars while we do it to a dark, hurting world. That's the mission. There's enough opposition from the outside. we don't need it inside. So then, here's what I want to do. Elementary school, junior high, high school, and young adults in college, will you stand up right now? Go on. You won't be the only one standing here soon, all right? Now look at these guys. Are we, are we praying for them? Are we praying the boldness of Stephen, of Paul, of Jesus for these guys? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to be bold through them? Because I have news for you. They have an opportunity like nothing any of, any of us has. They walk through the doors of schools with hundreds or thousands of kids every single week. And even if they don't, just by virtue of being a teenager, guess what? They've got a doorway into a teenager's life that as adults we just don't have. So we should be praying boldness and courage for them. Okay, stay standing. If you uh, work in, let's say, let's say you work in the uh, retail or customer service industry, will you stand up? Okay, I'm reminded that in three weeks, the absolutely most insane, crazy shopping time of the year is coming up. And while all the shoppers are enjoying it, guess who uh, gets to just gets ground on? Anybody in customer service or retail? Because they get to hear the complaints and the arguments and the grumblings of people returning things. It doesn't work. I don't like it. So we should be praying the patience of God himself. For our brothers and sisters who are in customer service and in retail if you work in the educational system will you stand up please these are people with incredible hearts to serve are we praying for their strength as they go about doing what they do because they point us to the very heart of jesus the heart of a servant we're we praying for that i hope so if you're in a science-related field or math-related field or engineering, will you stand up? For you guys, we pray. <laughs> we pray God's wisdom for you. You remind us, love, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, brilliant minds. Thank you for loving him and reminding us that we have to love him that way. So we pray clarity and wisdom. If you're in the arts in some form, will you stand up? We should be praying for them to continue to get that creative energy of God. He's a creative God to encourage others. Stay at home parents and grandparents, will you stand up? I was sitting here thinking, good grief. What do the rest of you guys do? (laughs) I'm reminded that the greatest ministry we have is within our homes. And so pray, pray for parents, pray for grandparents who they are with little ones all day long and God is using you to shape them. We pray strength and encouragement for you. If you're retired, will you stand up? healthcare. It's coming. (laughs) I'm sorry. For our retired generation, we pray so much for you. You You have the luxury, not luxury, but sometimes it's like, well, what am I doing? But time. You have the time to be able to really freely look around at who God brings into your life. And take the opportunity to be a witness to them. So we pray boldness and courage for you. And as someone mentioned health care. Edu- um, sorry. Hospitals. Firefighters. Police. We pray for you. You are literally bringing care to a hurting world. And a hurting world that may yell back at you. They may be uncomfortable. We pray for you. And finally... If you've got air in your lungs and a heart beating in your chest and you're able, will you stand up? (laughs) As we go this morning, actually I want to do one thing. If you're up front, will you turn around and look to the back? If you're in the back, will you look up front? If you're over here, will you look over here? And if you're over here, I want you to look over here. Now. Somewhere across the room from you is somebody with different political beliefs than you. And oftentimes that's all we see. Across the room from you, Broncos fans, there's a Patriots fan, okay? (laughs) There he is, right there. (laughs) And Michigan fans, there are Ohio State fans here in the audience, you know? See, too often we look at each other and we see the differences. And we forget that we may see things differently, but Paul's saying, but you need to be united on the most important thing. that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, died on a cross and he rose again. And that's a message that gives us and the world tremendous hope. So let us be united in that mission and bringing that to that world and shine like stars doing it. Unity will be our opportunity to reach our community. Let me pray for you and we'll go. Heavenly Father, I'm reminded that oftentimes your word to us is nothing brand new. It's just a reminder. It's a reminder and not just a reminder. It's a powerful reminder. Thank you for the powerful reminder from the Apostle Paul this morning. And so with that in mind, every single person standing here, we do commission in your strength with the Holy Spirit to go forth, to go about their mission in whatever context they're in, specifically to look to their their right and left, and shine like stars. Let the world look at this church, Heavenly Father, and not see people standing for my rights or requests or interests or anything like that, but for your reign in our lives individually and in our relationships with one another. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. West Bulls, thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.